Revelation 19. This is just a great passage. Revelation 19. When Christ shall finally come. When Christ shall finally come. Revelation 19. And last week we looked at uh, these hallelujahs here. Hallelujah for a funeral and hallelujah for a wedding. There are actually two. Yeah, last Sunday night when we had Brother Fry with us as well. And so here tonight, when Christ shall finally come, of course, the second time. Let's look at that. And what we're going to read, we're going to read verses 11 to 21, but we're just going to deal with verses 11 to 16 because there's some multiple descriptions of this this return that we want to look at. And we'll just look at four of them tonight, four uh, first impressions of His return from verses 11 to 16, but we'll read a little beyond that, okay? So let's all pay attention. Revelation 19, verse 11, we'll begin there. I'll read, you can follow along. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew, but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God, that ye may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of them that sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. And I saw the beast, that is the Antichrist, and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him with, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, And them that had worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire with brimstone, burning with brimstone. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all fowl, all the fowls were filled with their flesh. Let's read these next three verses here. I think it comes, flows naturally. Look at these next three verses in chapter 20. And I saw an angel come down from heaven having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. I remember um, when I was younger, of course, a lot of you know the name Michael Jordan. Uh, probably one of the best basketball players, NBA players ever, and just an amazing, accomplished athlete. He retired three times. 
And um, one of the times, I think the first time he retired, I think it was be in kind of in conjunction with the death of his father. I think his dad was murdered or a car accident. I can't remember. But it, was, it, was, uh, it shook him. And he did retire. But before he retired, I can't remember his first year in the NBA, maybe 85, 84. But he won 90. They, the Bulls won the championship in 91, 92, 93. It was a, the three-peat. And they won those uh, cha NBA championships three years in a row those years. And then somewhere in there, his dad had died, and, and then he just retired. And um, uh, when he retired, I mean, probably to occupy some time, he said, ah, I think I'll play professional baseball. And he played minor league, in this case, if I remember right, uh, baseball, and, and uh, took a little sabbatical. You know, how, how would you like to take a sabbatical like that? Ah, I think I'll just go to another sport. You know, but that's what he did. He's, of course, he's an accomplished athlete, and, and that's what he did. And then he came back, and he returned in, uh, he retired for the 93-94 season. Then he came back in 95, and he returned and played. And then in 96, 97, 98, those three years in a row, he led his team to win again. So he can tell it makes a difference when he's there and when he's not. And uh, so a 3 P. And then he retired again in 99. And then he came back in 2001 to 2003 and didn't win any championships. I mean, you, you do get old, you know. And uh, so, uh, but, but uh, of course, an amazing accomplished athlete. And to do that, I mean, you look at his profile, it's just, I was looking at Wikipedia, and you scroll and scrolling down all the accomplishments and stuff. But one of the things I distinctly remember was when he retired the first time, and he came back, he came back again for the uh, uh, 95 season. I remember being, I think it was at Park and Swap or something. We used to sometimes go down there and sell stuff in Phoenix at a Park and Swap. <clears throat> and I remember distinctly uh, seeing a poster I was, being, I was out there at the parking swap, and somebody had, you have all kinds of crazy stuff at parking swap. And so there's, somebody had a bunch of posters, and one of them was a, a poster of Michael Jordan. And it showed him coming in the clouds yep. with a basketball. And it showed him, it says, he's coming back, or the second coming. I think it said the second coming. But it was conveying that idea very distinctly that, like Jesus, is what the manufacturers trying to say he's coming back that's what it said he's coming back and it's like in the clouds he's got a ball air jordan you know and when i saw that i'm like okay come on that only belongs to one person you know but um and i don't know if he authorized that as a player if he authorized the way that was said but either way we know we understand that nobody's worthy of something like that except the lord jesus christ but people were excited he came back yeah he came back man and he came back in that next season, they did okay. Then the next three after that, three, you know, a three-peat. And then he retires again, then he comes back. See, he eventually wears down, right? Greatness doesn't last forever. You get a nice, we have these beautiful flowers. Um, some of them are back there. We gave our, our, the pastor's wife 40 roses last Sunday morning because she was the longest-standing, consistent, I mean, without interruption. We've got a lot, of, we have several long-standing members here we appreciate. My wife's never been in any other church for the last 40 years. Constantly, her membership's been here. We gave her 40 flowers. And, you know, those are, I love roses. She likes roses, but they're fading, right? The glory fades. The glory of man, the Bible says, fades. The glory of man fades and withers. 
Jesus is going to come back, and he's not going to have to retire and come back. He's going to come back finally, and he's going to have a sustained kingdom here. He's going to come back. We're going to, that's what this passage is about, him coming again. I remember that one time, a couple days ago, we were trying to get another crib for charity. We, she's actually been almost two years in a little pack and play is what we've used, and it's just getting worn out. So we, now we've got an actual crib that's kind of the crib-sized mattress, and we got one off of OfferUp yesterday. And the lady was way out in, like, off of uh, Racker and Chandler Heights, and uh, the, it was like a late garage sale, but she posted this on, no, it was Facebook Marketplace. Anyways, I went out to get it, and I was corresponding with her. It was like 3, 3.15, and she's like, you know, well, I, you know, where's your address, and is it available, all this stuff? And so I got that, and she goes, well, I'm, I'm very sorry. We're tired. We're going to be stopping at 4 o'clock, you know. That's a long garage sale. And they, I could see it in their eyes when I got there. They were tired. Um, I probably could have offered them a dollar for everything else, and they probably would have given it to me. I don't know. But you get to get like that at the garage sale. It's like, all right, just take it. Just take it. I don't want to take it to Goodwill and pack it up. But anyways, I called her, and she, she says, we're going to be done by 4. I said, I will be there before then. I will be there before then. And then once I said that in my text, I'm like, man, I better get there before then, you know. And I'll get in the car, and where do I, I got to stop for fuel or something. I think, oh, I had to get some cash. That's what it was. And, I, and as I was driving, I'm like, you know what? Sometimes my best intentions I still don't make. You know, I'm going to be there here at this time, and I get hung up, or I have, a, I have some other uh, unforeseen problem that hinders me. And I don't always, I'm not always able to keep my word, even with the best of intentions, that I'll be there at this time. I try to, and a good man will do that, right? A good woman will do that, keep their word, with or without excuses. Jesus says, I'm coming. He didn't tell us the time, but he says, I will come, and he will come. So let's look at this. Here's some particular descriptions of it. Actually, let's, let's mention a few more things before we get into this, because we have to be clear in our understanding. I think this church pretty much is. But let's be clear in our understanding of a couple things. First of all, this is a, um, a two-fold event. When we say the return of Christ, or the, let's say that the second coming of Christ is a two-fold, has two phases to it. Remember? There's the first phase is the what? And the second phase is the return. There we go. Matt. He gets the student of the day award here. <laughs> All right. Two phases to G Jesus came once on earth, and he says, I'm going to come again. It's the second coming. When he comes again, we understand the Scripture teaches two phases to that. The rapture and then the return. The rapture is when he comes for his saints. He comes for. He doesn't touch base on earth yet. Meets us in the air. 1 Thessalonians 4 teaches. And there's a couple other scriptures. Meets us in the air. John 14 says, I will receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. That's the rapture. The return is when he comes back with his saints. And you see it right here? And you see it in some other scriptures. He comes back with his saints after he's been with them in heaven for seven years. The rapture is when Jesus comes back to retrieve His bride. The return is when He comes back to reign with His bride. Okay? The rapture is when He comes and he, it's His coming. It's, he comes, what you might say, uh, it's an intermediate coming, intermediately. And then the return, He comes back permanently on earth. 
And this is what you're looking at here. This is not the rapture. We are, are, we are already in heaven with Jesus. We're already celebrated the bride, the wedding. We had this wedding in heaven, it speaks about. Of, again, the, who's the bride? The bride is the, everybody has trusted Jesus Christ as Savior since he's been on earth. Everybody has, who's trusted since, his, since at least since his resurrection, trusted Jesus Christ as Savior up until this day are part of his bride, those that are in Christ. And so he comes back with that bride. So let's look at that uh, tonight. And then also real quick, remember there's many scriptures, Matthew 24, 27 to 31, Daniel 7, full of little instances of, of this, and Zechariah 14 telling this highly anticipated aspect, the return part. The rapture was a mystery in the Old Testament. The actual step-down, second-coming return is clear. It's highly anticipated his return. I'm sure people highly anticipated Michael Jordan coming back. You know, people are trying to anticipate our Trump coming back. Oh, he comes back and runs again. It's going to be wonderful, you know. People are anticipating him to try to run again. This is Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. People were looking for him to come, and we're looking for him to come back on earth again. Okay, what is the Bible teaching here? First, let's look at his appearance, then his armies, then his artillery, then his outstanding attribute. There's more to it in the rest of the chapter, but those are the four things we're going to deal with tonight. Notice his appearance. There's several descriptions of his appearance. What does it say? I saw heaven opened. So he's coming from heaven. That's where he went to. Anyways, you might as well expect him. He went up that way, and the, the angel said, you see him come this way? He's going to come back this way too. I saw heaven open. Here's the first thing. A white horse, it says. Behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. A white horse. Now, a white horse doesn't mean much to us. We're just like, yeah, whatever. We get in our cars. We don't think a lot about horses. Some of you do. Some of you like horses very much. But here's the thing, and you can imagine this. How many people wear white shirts if they're doing a lot of messy work? How many people wear stuff like that if it's a non-formal thing? Typically, if it's a formal event where it's not going to get real messy or it's a, something like that, you're going to wear, um, uh, maybe you'll some, wear something really nice and white. It, same thing with a horse in, in war. Back in this day, if they you wouldn't usually go to war. If you did go to war on a white horse, you wouldn't use that same horse on your victory parade. Usually a, a king, a leader, or whatever, after they've won... They ride the white horse through their city, through their country, and they decorate the white horse, and the white horses, look at this, great. He's already coming back. He's coming back on a white horse like, I've already won. That's what it's saying. It's very clear to people in this day, nobody, no king rides around on a white horse unless he just, what did you win? He's saying, I've already won. This might as well be over. And he's coming back on a white horse at the place. It's showing for those who've already won. Notice another thing about his appearance. Is he's, what is he called? He's called faithful. That means Jesus is trustworthy. I'm so glad for that. And true, I'm so glad for that. Again, I try to be faithful. I want to be faithful. I want to be true. My sin will hinder that. My frailty as a human will hinder that. But I'm going to still keep because Jesus is to be faithful. But Jesus is 
faithful. That means he's trustworthy and he's accurate. He's right. Faithful and true. Notice what it says. He's called faithful and true. That's in contrast to other men who come riding into our life on white horses. A governor comes in. We're going to have the greatest governor ever. We got a new justice on the Supreme Court. We love this new justice on the Supreme Court. We got a new president. We love this new president. We got all the people coming in on their white horse in our life and in our government and in our court systems. And sometimes they're faithful. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're true. Sometimes they're not. There's been people on the Supreme Court. I thought, finally, we're going to nail this thing. And then some Supreme Court justice goes, he kind of goes to the side. I'm like, what is wrong with this guy? That he was one of us, you know? And uh, they're supposed to be, of course, more, uh, you know, unbiased than they ought to be. But, I, but you see people, you're like, man, why did they do that? They didn't judge right, or they didn't rule right, or they didn't decide right. And uh, some people, they're not always faithful and true. That contrasts with us. The, the John says that he's coming back, and he's, I see him coming back to rule, and he's called faithful, and he's called true in contrast to us, in contrast to sometimes our politicians, certainly in this day, in contrast to the Antichrist. Again, in this day, as we're reading the, the context of this book, we're in the middle of a horrible time, at the end of a horrible time on earth, where there was a mesmerizing man ruling the world, and he was also deceiving the world with his false prophet, and he was found to be untrue and a deceiver. Now here comes the true one down to earth. He's called faithful and true. Notice what else about his appearance. It says, in righteousness. Uh, it's to describing in righteousness, he doth judge and make war. How does he judge in righteousness? How does he make war in righteousness? How do some people judge nowadays? In bribes. How do some people make more nowadays? What's, our, what's the personal interest here of my, my company in doing this war? You know, sometimes our politicians, they do the little things in the back, in back room deals that we might not know about. We find out about later that there was a war, and we find out, well, they did this war because of this, this thing that, that this one guy was interested in getting rich on, or um, this man, this judge, d- judged a certain way because he was being bribed. But in Jesus, in rightness, he judges and makes war. He does what's right because he is right. We complain of court decisions and war decisions often, and, and sometimes that happens. We can't complain of Jesus' decisions here. What else about his appearance? What's the next thing it says? Describe something, verse 12, describe something else about him. His eyes were as a flame of fire. His eyes were as a flame of fire. Each of us have different color eyes and black and brown and blue and green and hazel and stuff in between and all that. We have different color eyes. Jesus' eyes were as a flame of fire. That means nothing escapes his notice. Again, we're told about Jesus. We don't see Jesus. We don't. We walk by faith. Not by sight, but we're told when we see him, wow, his eyes is a flame of fire. Nothing will escape his sight. That just increase our confidence in him. He's going to be aware of all things and be um, nothing will escape his notice. He'll have accurate vision. Notice something else about him. Crowns. What does it say? On his head were what? Many crowns. Now, that doesn't mean he had them all stacked up like this and it looked really weird. That is not what it means. It means on his head were many crowns that he has. There was, it's kind of like the guy in the garage. You go, the guy has like 50 hats all around his garage. Have you ever seen a person, maybe somebody like that? Anybody have a bunch of hats in here? Okay, so we've seen people like that before, right? You go to their house, like, how come that guy's got 50 hats all around his garage? Or there's this irrigation supply place that we went to over off Arizona Avenue. You go there, there's a bunch of hats, you know, and there they all are. They have many hats. Doesn't mean they're wearing them. 
Jesus has many crowns, many crowns for his head. What does that mean? Well, you know, look at the, look at the front of some of you, most of us, in the front of your Bible, a King James Version, it says something about the king here that uh, over 400 years ago authorized this Bible, the dedication paper. It says, to the most high and mighty Prince James, by the grace of God, King of Great Britain, France, and Ireland, defender of the faith, etc. By the time this was done, this king, and it didn't last that way for a long time, but this king was king of multiple realms, Great Britain, Ireland, France. Um, there's times in history where a king had, in a sense, multiple crowns. I'm the crown over here, I'm the crown over here, and I'm a crown over here. Jesus has many crowns. Do you see what I'm saying now? Yeah. Many realms of authority. Many regions that he is sovereign over. He's sovereign over all. We know that. But, there's, but it's stated in this way, signifies multiple realms of authority. What was the first crown he had, though? That's right. That's the one that we needed to know first. We needed to be forgiven and cleansed first before we can know reigning with him. He took the crown of thorns first, then he'll take the crown of reigning next. And we need to come to grips with the idea of that he took a crown of thorns for us. You'll, want, you'll not know the benefit of his golden crowns unless you know what his crown of thorns means. It means he died in your place and took a punishment for your sins and mine. If I put my personal faith in him and, and from a sincere heart ask him to be my Savior, believe in he died and rose from the dead, I'll be his, I'll be saved, and I'll reign with him and, and appreciate that crown, that reigning crown he has. That's his appearance there. There's a few more descriptions here, a few more. Look what it says. I have not much to say about this next thing. Uh, he has a name written. Um, what does it say that there? Oh, verse 12, he has a name written that no man knew but he himself. I don't know what else to say about it. I guess there's a code name. Somebody else know? Did you have some insight there, Andrew? No, don't tell me right now. There's a name written. Did you see that? There's something about, there's some name written. Even, I don't know if this is related, but did you know, like, even in the Bible, the name, we don't even, do you know we don't even know? I asked Jewish people. They don't even know how to say the name God. Did you know that? They don't know if it's Yahweh, Jehovah, Yehovah. Yahweh, nobody can agree on how to say God's personal name. Did you know that? They don't even know. We say, it's Jehovah. No, it's Yahweh. We need to ask Moses, what did it sound like at the bush again? You know, that's, that was the one who first heard it. He said, there was, it was the syllables and sounds came right first to him, the personal name of God. It could be talking about that. I'm not sure. We'll find out some stuff that uh, we'll, we'll find out later. All right, what else about him? Clothed in a vesture, dipped in blood. Again, here's an aspect. There's a couple thoughts on it. Um, this garment dipped in blood, most of the people I'm reading say it relates to the blood of the battle he's going to have in Isaiah, 53, in Isaiah 63 and the one that's coming. But it also is tell, making that description before he arrives. So it could be clothed in a garment dipped in blood, perhaps his own blood. But we're reminded of that blood there perhaps referring to his blood atonement. Uh, what else is in the, one more description here of his appearance, which is really just uh, an intrinsic description of him, is, is this. 
What does it say at the end of verse 13? What's he called? His name is called Word of God. So Jesus is called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty uh, Prince of Priests, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. And he's called, Jesus is called what? The Word of God. The Word of God. Now think about that. What does that mean that Jesus is, oh, Jesus looks like a Bible. <laughs> he looks like a scroll. No. He's called the Word of God. This is what it means. When we see Jesus, as you see Jesus by faith, and when we see Jesus in, in, in person with your own eyes, everything He says is the Word of God. Everything He does is the Word of God. Everything He is, is the Word of God. That can't be said for us. Everything I do is not the Word of God. I want it to be. Everything I say is not the Word of God. I'm not always that. But everything that Jesus is, says, does is the Word of God. He is, the Scripture says, He is the brightness, uh, who being the brightness of His um, image, the ex I'm getting it wrong. It's in Hebrews 1.3. talks about He is the express image of God's person. The Bible says in Colossians 1.15 about Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus Christ? He is the image of the invisible God. He is God's Word embodied. He is God's self-disclosure of Himself in His Son. That's what Jesus is called. So there's some things about His appearance. So John says, I saw heaven open. Whoa! Here He comes on the white horse and all these virtuous, um, unparalleled descriptions of Him. And now, secondly, there's appearance. Now there's some armies. There's armies. Look at uh, verse 14. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. I'm confident. I'm confident there's at least, uh, I know one of the group. This, this involved, it could involve three groups in this army. I'm confident of one of the groups. It's the church. It's, we're in that army because you could trace the description throughout Revelation about the white garments and everything. And Paul's saying, if we suffer with him, we shall reign with him. We're part of these armies. So John says, wow, I saw him come. And then these armies on white horses come, clothed in the, in the, in the fine linen, white and clean. We're in this army. It could be also Old Testament saints included and his angelic armies. It could be as well. But certainly we are coming back with him as his church. We are part of his army. Now, you know, there's Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, Coast Guard, Space Guard. I don't know what we got now, Space Force, stuff like that. Army just means your military forces. We'll be in an army. We're going to be in an army. We're coming back with him in his army. Jude, hold your place there. Look at Jude 14. 14. Jude 14. Now, if you go to the beginning of Revelation, just turn one page over and you'll see the book of Jude. Jude 14, um, it says there, Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. It didn't say ten thousand, like only a contained number, but ten thousands, ranks of ten, or groups of ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all, and it goes on to describe the retribution there. 
He comes with ten thousands. Look in First, First Thessalonians three. Look in First Thessalonians three, and I want you, again, what are we doing? We're looking at the idea. John saw Jesus coming back, his appearance. He sees his armies, and I'm here to tell you we're part of this army. First Thessalonians three thirteen, uh, part of Paul's prayer for them. He says, "To the end, uh, he may he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness." before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with, that's the coming back, with all His saints. We're going to come back with Him. We're going to reign with Him. There's a scripture, I think it's First or Second Timothy, if we suffer with Him, we shall also reign with Him. Let me read to you a guy, what one guy described, Ed Heinsohn, this guy, kind of a conservative-minded uh, Bible teacher like we would we would identify with. Notice what he says, or I'll just read you a good quote here. The Savior returns from heaven with his bride at his side. The church militant is now the church triumphant. Her days of conflict, rejection, and persecution are over. She returns victorious with her warrior king husband. And then he quotes another Christian man, um, German uh, uh, pietist A.W. Boehm, put it this way, there will be a time when the church of Christ will come up from the wilderness of her crosses and affliction, leaning upon her beloved, and in his power bidding defiance to all her enemies. Then shall the church appear terrible as an army, with banners, but terrible only to those that despise her while she was in her minority, and would not have her beloved to reign over her, over them. That's us coming back with him. It's nice to be on a winning side, huh? You know? On a winning side, we're going to be on the winning side. It's not going to be the short-term winning side, you know. If our, one of our sports teams wins, you know, uh, the, if the Cardinals win the Super Bowl, we'll be like, yeah, man, I told you, I told you they were going to win this year. We'd have guys walking around doing that, you know. And we're like, yes, but then guess what? We've got to try again next year. That's right, and we might blow it next year like crazy. That's a Cardinal tradition, you know. Um, <laughs> and then the Suns did pretty good, and then they fizzled in the championship. That was kind of embarrassing, you know. And, uh, but we could win a championship and be like, yes, and were, but it's just short-lived. But when we come back with him, man, we, it's, just, it's a permanent victory. We already have it. Right. We already have the victory. In fact, notice this. Okay, so John says, I see him. The heavens open. He's coming back. Faithful and true. He's riding the white horse. Ooh, and armies follow. Hey, they get to ride white horses too. Cool. Some of you, anybody not like horses? Better like one. You're going to have to like a horse. If you're allergic to one, it'll be, the allergies will be gone. You'll get to ride a white horse. We get one just like him. By the way, listen to some of this language. Is Jesus, you're going to reign with me. It's his bride being close to him, being uh, close to his side, identified closely with him. It's not like, well, they get the little ponies, those little miniature ponies, poor things, or they're riding next to him. No, they're also on white horses. See, see what he's, how he loves us? Do you see that? Um, I've told you before how I, I've been bucked off a horse. I was bucked off a donkey one time at Apache Creek Christian Camp. And, man, I was like, this is just a donkey, no big thing. Man, I'll get on this donkey. And he did like one, two, and I was gone. I was like, man, that was embarrassing. I wasn't even that high off the ground. The donkey was a little lower. And when I got up, I'm like, oh, I'm good, I'm good. I started walking away. I was like, oh, I'm getting stiff. And I was getting stiff. All right, guys, I'm going to the, I'm gonna go back to the cabin. And the kids enjoyed the rest of the rodeo. And, uh, and then another time as I worked as a counselor at West Branch, in Flags, when it was in Flagstaff, we were practicing for a skit. We, the counselors 
we had a really cool skit involved several horses and a pretend shootout and stampede and all this stuff. And me and another guy were supposed to jump on this one horse called Buckshot and uh, with the emphasis of buck. Uh, and, uh, and we were supposed to jump on this horse and ride off like we're trying to get away from something. And, and, um, and we did this. We did the, uh, uh, the skit a couple times. But during one of the practices, he and I jumped on the horse and started riding and, and all of a sudden, I'm like, why is the horse slowing down? All of a sudden, the next thing I know, I'm going over the head of the horse. And he just flipped me right over, and he, both of us, he bucked both of us off over this horse. And then, I, <laughs> and then, of course, you know what they told us, right? Get back on the horse. You know, don't let him get away with that. And so that's what we did, and wasn't too happy with that horse, though. But, you know, no one's going to fall off here riding on white horses. Don't hear or see of anybody falling off, getting bucked off. Nobody having their eyes swelled up and having itchy rashes and stuff because of allergies or asthma. You're good. You're good. A white horse there. That's his armies. And then a couple more descriptors, a couple more aspects. His artillery. Notice this. We're, we learned of his appearances, his armies, and his artillery. Notice verse 15. Out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. What is it called that's coming out of his mouth? A sharp sword. Okay. How many of us have any artillery that we own? Weapons, okay. Come on, it's Baptist church, conservative people. I know you guys. Some of you, I, I'm confident some of you are armed right now, and it's good. By the way, if you come to church armed, just let me know. I need to know who's gonna, who I'm going to hide behind. <laughs> so, uh, but it's okay to, I think it's okay to have, you know, have guns and everything. And we, I have, I got a, so my grandpa Morgan, my, my mom's dad, had a couple of 22s, which is like a BB gun on steroids, and, um, my uncle used to shoot them, and so my grandpa Morgan gave them to my dad, and my dad eventually gave them to me, and me and the boys will shoot with them. It's kind of fun to teach them. It's a good learning rifle. Um, and then also my grandpa Morgan had a Colt 45 um, that he gave to my dad, and then my dad gave to me, and I have that one. And that's about all I got besides a couple of knives and, um, and some big bullet from my dad brought back from Vietnam or something. But... Um, but I have, I have some weapons, I have some artillery, but I have to go buy it or I have to go or I've received it from somebody else. Um, there's a guy that's a, been a family friend of, of our family. His name's Rob Latham. Uh, you don't do it now, but if you were to look him up, you'll discover he was <coughs> an accomplished world champion uh, 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 competitive shooter. And he was a family friend of ours. We knew him when, when he was younger. My dad actually used to shoot with him a lot. And uh, he can, he's on, he's in magazines, he's on YouTube, he's on, in fact, he lives in Mesa here, but he can shoot all kinds of stuff. I remember as a kid watching him on ESPN, because I used to, he used to come to our house and he would go to, he'd have lunch with us sometimes, and my dad would go out shooting with him and a bunch of other buddies, and, and then my dad would say, Rob's getting pretty good, he's getting pretty good, and then he'd next thing, you know, Springfield Armory is uh, sponsoring him, and this was in the late 80s, and, and he kind of got popular, and then... My dad and his buddies just kind of did it for, for side sport. But um, I remember Rob was fast with his handgun, and he'd, he can shoot revolver and automatic, all kinds of different hands. He's really good. didn't matter what it was. And then I saw him on ESPN one time. He was doing skeet shooting. He just, <laughs> my dad, Rob can shoot skeet, too. He's like, yeah, you guys can shoot anything. He's really good. Just get him a weapon, and he's good with it. But 
we have to think about this. We have to go obtain a weapon. I got to go make a weapon or buy a weapon. I forge a weapon. I make a weapon. Um, I have to go obtain weapons like that, right? I have to go make a sword. Now, watch this about the Lord Jesus Christ. We're talking, the focus tonight is of Him. He's coming back. He's got His army. You're here? Cool. All right. You got your army? Great. What's your artillery? He didn't have to go get it anywhere. He doesn't go and get it. He doesn't go make it. He didn't receive it from somebody. It's of himself. Isn't that amazing? The sword comes out of his mouth. Now, it's not literally a, oh, look at that sharp sword. It's the thing he says is a sword. When he, his, when he speaks, it can create, it can destroy. It can heal, it can hurt. What he says is his weapon. Isn't that amazing? Look what it says there. Again, I saw out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword that with it he should smite the nations. And you get his first sample of that in verse 20 and 21. Notice verse 20, the beast was taken and him the false prophet. The end of the verse, it says, they, at the end of the verse, they are both cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. Verse 21, the remnant, all the other <clears throat> godless armies and kings, well, verse 21 says, were slain with what? The sword of him that sat upon a horse, upon the horse. Which sword proceeded out of his mouth? And all the fowls were filled with their flesh. They were made a banquet for, for birds there, the remnant. But what does it say when Jesus speaks? Remember the one guy that came and wanted to be healed? His daughter to be healed or servant? I can't remember what it was, but some man ran to Jesus. Oh, could you please heal my... I can't remember if it was a daughter or a servant. Maybe it's to say daughter. Can you heal my daughter or whatever? Who is it called her? Son. Okay. All right. Could you please heal my son? He's grievously afflicted. He's about to die. And he says, um, and, um, and, and the conversation went along the lines of um, the man said, you know, just speak the word only, Lord. I know I'm in authority and all I have to do is say something. And he goes down the line. And he says, Lord, just say the word. Just say the word. And I know the authority goes right to it. And he, I don't know how many miles Jesus was away from this dying son. Maybe he had already died. I can't remember the story. I don't know how many miles he was, but Jesus said the word. And he says, you know, your faith, he commended this man's faith. He said the word and the, and the, and the kid was healed. His word, amen? This passage, the theme of this passage is that just the word of God is sufficient for the worst problems. Can you get a problem bigger than an antichrist or the devil? Or all the kings in the whole world saying, ah, we don't like God and the Lamb anymore. That's a big problem. That's a big problem. Or a false prophet that can do a bunch of miracles. That's a big problem. Man, we got some big problems here. What fixes them? Jesus comes down and says, <laughs> something, and they're gone. <laughs> Boo! I don't know what he says. He says something, and they're gone. Now, that's a major thing, but this is the same word that we're told we're reading, in a way. And I'm not saying you kind of use this as a magical thing, but I'm saying we have problems, and you read, and it gives us solutions to things we need victory over. His word is our artillery also. We take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. It's the same word that spoke everything into existence that same word will, de word will deal with 
the festering of evil. Last of all, thanks for your patience. Let's just look at this, the outstanding attribute here. So his appearance, his armies, his artillery, and number four, his outstanding attribute, uh, we see in verse 16, in half his vesture and on his thigh, that's a way to drape, kind of make the longest billboard on your body, a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. They would Apparently, some of the kings in the day, or maybe Caesars, would have something draped on them. You know, some of the Caesars would call themselves king of kings, lord of lords, and then they'd die. Or they'd go mad, or they'd get murdered. Jesus has it, and he's coming from heaven, and it says, king of kings and lord of lords. That's what he had on his thigh and on his vesture. The, wait a minute. What was written above this? There was a side here something like what above the cross what was it something like what gee this is jesus king of the jews that's kind of how it was written you know mockingly look here's the king of the jews and now the sign is king of king of kings lord of lords and you're going to see it's very evident it it, how it's demonstrated the rest of this chapter King of kings, Lord of lords. And we're on his side. Isn't that great? This is really going to happen. Remember the, well, some of you probably would have to read about it. Of course, General Douglas MacArthur, one of our, we have, I don't think we've had five-star general in a long time. I believe he was a five-star general. And um, during World War II, in fact, General Douglas MacArthur, his, I believe his dad was a general as well. As well. And uh, Douglas MacArthur was a World War I veteran, World War II, I think he called back into active service to, to help in World War II. I think he was one of the oldest active duty members of the military to receive the Medal of Honor, and many honors he received. And he's a professing Christian. General Douglas MacArthur was our general for, during World War II, of course, we had the European conflict and the Pacific conflict in the Pacific theater dealing with the Japanese empire. And he was over that primarily. Well, there was a time when the Japanese were trying to take over the Philippines and they are making a lot of headway and they did, they get, they got the advantage on on a lot of the Philippine islands by and large. So our forces had to retreat and some of them went to Bataan, I think it's called, which is another region up there. But they had to leave, give, give way most of that, those islands to the Japanese. So you have the United States forces retreating back with MacArthur. You have the Japanese taking over the Filipino people, and they didn't want that, from what I could tell, most of them. And then um, after a while, MacArthur and some of his uh, other leaders under him actually had to even leave there and go into Australia. And when they went to Australia, he, that's where he kind of regrouped and made, his, made a speech. And the speech basically said, I shall return. <laughs> that's what he said about the Philippines. I shall return. And it became a popular thing, but it became more popular because he did. And he came back, and after two years, he returned to the Philippines and, and re you know, got, they got the advantage there, drove out the Japanese uh, forces and started pushing back and making our uh, 
bit by bit conquering there in the Pacific, which was a, which was what a challenge to be bouncing around to islands and on ship and um, plane and all that. And, and so he did return, and he did uh, he did help conquer them and give them the victory. And then he oversaw and accepted the surrender of the Japanese on the USS Missouri in the bay, in, the, in Tokyo Bay, with our, I mean, this is the enemy. We, we're great allies with Japan now, no hard feelings there is that sense. But in their bay, on our ship, the emperor, of course, signed something, the surrender agreement, the surrender, and he there uh, accepted those terms of surrender there. And, and then he oversaw some of the rebuilding of Japan. Now, that's like the Lord Jesus Christ. He's like, I'll come back. And he's going to come back to a greater problem than the Japanese Empire trying to whittle their way through the Pacific. And then he comes back. He's going to go into the bay of the, the worst group, beast and antichrist, but not accept any surrender. He's going to destroy them. And we're going to be on his side. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. That's his coming back. And that's what so many prophets and Christians and saints have been looking forward to. Martin Luther, the Protestant reformer, said there's two days on my calendar, today and that day. Two days I'm always thinking about, today and that day when he comes back. And that's how it should be for us. 